welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, New International Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're so happy you're able to join us today on Anchored by Truth. For several episodes now, we've been working on a series we call Eternal Information. We've covered a lot of ground so far in this series. If you've missed some of the earlier episodes, we encourage you to go to our website, crystalseabooks.com, where you can hear them. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Today, in the studio... We have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., what is the big idea that we have wanted to get across during this series? In other words, why spend so much time on a show devoted to the Bible to talk about information? Well, before we get into our discussion today, I'd also like to say hi to everyone who's joining us on Anchored by Truth. At Anchored by Truth, we have one central focus to help people discover or rediscover a basic truth. The Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. You know, that truth is unfortunately disappearing in contemporary America, and it's having a devastating impact on our culture. Many people may not be aware, but every year since 2014, Ligonier Ministries, in conjunction with LifeWay Research, has conducted a survey to explore what Americans think about God and the Bible. Now, their most recent survey results are out, and the results, frankly, are not good, because the results have shown, sadly, a continuation of some alarming trends, especially as they pertain to how Americans view the Bible. And anyone who wants to see the results for themselves can view them at thestateoftheology.com. Yes. There's a lot of valuable information that comes out of the survey, but one item that particularly caught my attention, and that's directly pertinent to what we do on Anchored by Truth, was the result of this question. The researchers asked people whether they agreed or disagreed with this statement. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. In other words, The researchers were asking people whether they believed the Bible was true. That's really important to note. They weren't asking whether people believed in the Bible. They were asking people whether they thought the Bible was true. This goes directly to the whole reason we do Anchored by Truth. You have often said that the church in the West made a disastrous turn years ago when Christians began insisting that we had a right to our beliefs but we stopped insisting that the Christian faith was true. Yes, 
The survey results are indicative of the consequences of the Western Church receding from an insistence that the Bible is true and teaches truth. So the percentage of U.S. adults agreeing with the statement, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths but is not literally true, went from 41% in 2014 to 53% in 2022. So what that says is that the percentage of U.S. adults who accept the Bible as being literally true declined by 12% in eight years. Now, perhaps even more alarming is that the percentage of adults who would self-classify as evangelical and who agreed with that statement, that percentage rose from 17% in 2014 to 26% in 2022. That's a 9% increase in evangelicals who agree with the statement that the Bible is not literally true. And evangelicals, of course, are the group where you might expect that 1% or 2% would agree with the statement that denies the truth of the Bible. Where would they derive the content of their faith they claim to espouse if not from the Bible? But if that 26% of evangelicals doesn't believe the Bible is literally true, why would they put any faith in the faith the Bible describes? I'm not sure which facet of the survey results is more alarming the fact that a majority of U.S. adults now don't believe in the truth of the Bible, or the fact that over a quarter of evangelicals now doubt the source of their faith. Well, obviously, both facts are alarming, and they are a graphic reason that those of us who know that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, we have to redouble our efforts to spread that message. We have to be sure that we are prepared to answer the questions that inevitably arise when we proclaim that the Bible is true. Not just that the Bible is a source of comfort or inspiration in our lives, but when we proclaim that the Bible is literally true, there are going to be some questions that are going to be asked of us. So, let's go back to your original question. The reason that we have been delving into a study of information so deeply is to help people have another line of evidence that demonstrates that our universe as we see it could not exist without God. And the basic line of reasoning that we are following is really pretty straightforward. The presence of information always indicates the presence of intelligence. And we see the existence of information all about us in the visible universe, especially in living creatures. The nucleotide sequence in DNA is very clear evidence that information is present in how cells are built and operate. So, information must have been present to create life. And if the presence of natural information indicates the presence of natural intelligence, then if we find any supernatural information, then we have to conclude that somewhere there is the presence of supernatural intelligence. And we do have one very clear repository of supernatural information that we know about, the Bible. And we spent our last couple of episodes of Anchored by Truth discussing the supernatural character of information that we find in the Bible. We started out by noting that the Bible does contain a great deal of what might be designated as natural information, the same kind of information that can be derived from just about any book. The Bible contains information about natural and human history, advice about raising children, managing money, building stable societies, 
And the Bible contains practical guidance on everything from avoiding dangerous sexual or addictive behavior and maintaining positive relationships with our neighbors. And we call this kind of information pragmatic information. But we know that even if we consider this just pragmatic information, the Bible is remarkable, isn't it? One thing we know for sure is that the Bible was cited by tens of thousands and probably millions of people as making a positive difference in their lives. Countless people have testified the Bible saved them from addiction, disgrace, and sometimes suicide when they picked it up and read it. And the Bible has done this across the centuries and across cultures and nations. So even if the only evidence of the Bible's character that we had come from the pragmatic information it contains, the Bible would be an amazing book. But in addition to the pragmatic information, the Bible also contains an unequaled record of fulfilled prophecy. Right. So alongside the pragmatic information that the Bible contains, there is also a large volume of prophetic information. And while, you know, it might have been possible for natural man to record history or even give wise advice, there is no way for men to reliably be able to tell anyone what's going to happen in the future. But the Bible prophets did. And to be an authentic Bible prophet, you had to be 100% accurate. That means that those prophets that have books in the Bible had to have received enough short-term prophecies so that the people could then verify the authenticity of the prophet. But most of those prophets also received longer-term prophecies, many of which were fulfilled decades or even hundreds of years after the prophecy was given. And we have reliable records that assure us, even today, of those prophets' accuracy. I know we've given some examples of fulfilled prophecies in previous episodes, but how about if you give us another one, just to illustrate the point that you're making? Well, the prophet Daniel wrote the book that goes by his name in the 6th century B.C. Quite likely, Daniel finished his book sometime earlier than 530 B.C. Well, early in his book, Daniel, who was a Jewish captive of the Babylonians, interpreted a dream for the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar of a series of four great empires that would control Israel, the Middle East, and much of the surrounding territory. Well, we now know that the empires that Daniel was referring to were the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Now, Daniel, in fact, gave the names of the first three empires and lived long enough to see the transition from the Babylonians to the Medo-Persians. And because of the linguistic and semantic characteristics of the book of Daniel, we can be very sure that he wrote hundreds of years earlier than the Dead Sea Scrolls. And those documents date from the 3rd century B.C. up to about the 1st century A.D. Now, the Roman general Pompey the Great did not conquer Jerusalem until 63 B.C., so we can be very sure that hundreds of years elapsed between Daniel giving his prophecy and the final empire gaining control of Israel. In other words, Daniel's prophecy about the four great empires is just one more example of the prophetic information the Bible contains. And while we might be able to see how wise and careful men could produce much of the Bible's pragmatic record, only men who had been supernaturally inspired could produce its prophetic record. So, the Bible's record of successful, fulfilled prophecy 
is strong evidence that it was prepared under the superintending direction of a supernatural source. Those of us who believe in God's inspiration of the biblical writers have no problem explaining how this record of fulfilled prophecy was produced. But anyone who denies the existence of God or God's role in the preparation of the Bible have to come up with an alternative explanation. And they do, but that's not what we are talking about today. You said that today you want to go into a third line of evidence that demonstrates the supernatural inspiration that would have been necessary to create the Bible. Yes. In addition to the pragmatic and prophetic information that the Bible contains, it also contains what you might call interconnected information. Now, this interconnected information in the Bible is unparalleled in any other book. What do you mean by interconnected information? Well, there is an old but very well-known couplet that says, The old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed. Okay. I want to be sure I heard that right before we continue. Quote, The old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed. Unquote. Right? Right. Now, that's a poetic and clever way of saying that the Old Testament and the New Testament display a supernatural connectedness. You know, many people think that because the Old Testament is called old, that somehow we can dispense with it, that we can do away with it. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. We can't fully understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And, you know, that's kind of easy to see. I mean, it's not uncommon for later writers, the New Testament writers wrote certainly later than the Old Testament writers did, and it's not uncommon for later writers to base some of what they might be writing on things that came earlier. At this stage, we're all familiar with sequels and movies and television. In most of the Star Something sagas, you can't understand the latest installment unless you've seen the prior ones, and sometimes you have to have seen more than one to fully get what the characters in the latest thing are doing. I suppose that is the producer's intent. Well, for TV and movie producers, that is their intent. And that shows you something. The TV and movie producers know that you can base a storyline on something that has already been written. But within the New Testament and the Old Testament, that mutual dependency goes both ways, not just one way. It doesn't just proceed from the old to the latter. There are times when the New Testament tells us things that explain things that had already been written hundreds of years earlier. A lot of times we don't fully understand Old Testament events or writings until we see what happened during the New Testament times, especially in the life of Jesus. And that's something that man could never do. Only God could have something occur or be relevant in the history of the first century A.D. that actually clarified something that had happened centuries or millennia earlier. I think we're going to need an example of what you're thinking about. Well, let's take a look at one of the most mysterious and enigmatic figures in the Bible, the King Melchizedek. Now, the name Melchizedek is usually interpreted to mean king of righteousness. Melchizedek only appears in person once in the Bible, and that appearance is in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Our opening verse, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, reads, quote, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, unquote. This verse describes an encounter between the patriarch Abraham and Melchizedek 
after Abraham had rescued his nephew Lot, who had been kidnapped by some raiders. Lot had been captured by an army led by a confederation of four kings. When Abraham heard about Lot's kidnapping, he assembled a force of his own, chased the invaders, and defeated them. On the way back to where he had settled, Abraham apparently went near the city of Salem. Most commentators think the city was an early version of Jerusalem. Exactly. So Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, has heard about Abraham's achievement and success, and Melchizedek goes out from Salem to celebrate Abraham's victory. Now, in the course of that celebration, Melchizedek pronounces a blessing on Abraham. Genesis chapter 14, verses 19 and 20 tells us that Melchizedek said, quote, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand, unquote. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils he had obtained when he recovered Lot. So this incident occurred during the life of Abraham, who lived almost 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Now, Moses included the reference to Melchizedek when he wrote the first five books of the Bible, which Moses did around 500 years after the encounter between Melchizedek and Abraham. And the mention that we have in Genesis of the figure Melchizedek That's the only mention of Melchizedek in the entire Old Testament until God inspired King David to write the 110th Psalm, and that was recorded around 1000 BC, or another 500 years after Moses had included the reference to Melchizedek in the book of Genesis. Now, I should emphasize right now, I'm just using round numbers for the purpose of making a larger point. I'm not trying to get to the specific years that we think these books were written but I'm just speaking in round numbers. You're referring to Psalm 110, verse 4, which reads, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, and those are the only two references to Melchizedek in the entire Old Testament, these two very short verses. And David's reference in Psalm 110, frankly, would have been confusing to his readers. David said that someone who David calls his Lord will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, all commentators agree that the Lord David referred to was the coming and prophesied Messiah. Now, the Jews in both David's time and in Jesus' time regarded the 110th Psalm as being a messianic psalm. So when David said that the Messiah would be a priest, well, that alone would not have been confusing to the people. But, and this is a big but, at the time David composed the 110th Psalm, Israel had a very well-established priesthood that conformed to the Mosaic Law. And in order to be a priest under the Mosaic Law, you had to be a member of the tribe of Levi. Levi was one of the 12 sons of the original patriarch Jacob. And the Levitical priesthood, that was described in detail in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Well, there is no way that Melchizedek could have been a member of the tribe of Levi because Melchizedek lived two generations before Jacob was even born. We often hear in the Bible the phrase, quote, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, unquote. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Levi was one of Abraham's great-grandsons. Abraham had interacted with Melchizedek even before Isaac was even born. 
So there is no way Melchizedek could have been a priest according to regulations established for the Levitical priesthood. Melchizedek was not, and could not be, a part of the tribe of Levi. He lived long before Levi was born. David saying the coming Messiah would be a priest, quote, in the order of Melchizedek, unquote, would have been confusing to the people. In David's day, there was no priesthood, quote, in the order of Melchizedek, unquote. The priesthood would have been in the order of Levi. So, it's fair to say David's reference to Melchizedek in Psalm 110 would have made very little sense to people of his day, or to the Jews who lived for the next thousand years, because there was no priesthood in the order of Melchizedek during that time. Right. And so we don't get any more information about why these two rather strange and oblique references to Melchizedek were included in the Old Testament until we come to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And then the mystery is clarified. The writer of Hebrews, which most people, many people think was the Apostle Paul, makes four separate references to Melchizedek. So it is not until a thousand years after David wrote Psalm 110 that we find out why God inspired David to write that seemingly strange line. Paul explains in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was in fact a priest even though Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. As far back as Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 the Jews had known that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Near his death, when Jacob was blessing his sons, Jacob said, quote, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of nations shall be his, unquote. The scepter, not departing from Judah, as well accepted to mean that a descendant of Judah would be a king whose kingdom would never end, In other words, the Messiah. Yes. So Jacob had said that the Messiah, the eternal king, would come from the tribe of Judah. And David had said that the Messiah would have an eternal priesthood, but that that priesthood would be one that resembled Melchizedek's priesthood. The Messiah's priesthood would not be part of the Levitical priesthood. But until Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected, No one knew how those two very strange requirements could both be satisfied. But the Apostle Paul, in the book of Hebrews, explained how this was possible. Now, the Jews had very complete genealogical records, so they clearly established that Jesus was a son of David and therefore came from the tribe of Judah. So we know Jesus satisfied that first requirement. That part was easy. But Paul then explains how Jesus had a priesthood But Jesus' priesthood came from an older form of the priesthood, one that preceded and superseded the Levitical priesthood, and that was the priesthood of Melchizedek. And it's important to note as we're thinking about all of this that Melchizedek is the only person in the entire Bible besides Jesus who is identified as both a king and a priest. So it wasn't until Paul, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, explained how Jesus perfectly fulfilled David's prophecy in Psalm 110, that people have understood why David had written that one verse. And there's no way the writer of Hebrews could go back and create those lines in the Old Testament. They were a thousand years old. Yes. 
And Paul couldn't change the historical facts that were necessary to make Jesus' life fit the requirements for the Messiah. The Jews, again, had very complete genealogical records. They knew what tribe everyone came from. And Paul could not create a fictional predecessor that would serve to explain how Jesus, even though he was not from the priestly tribe of Levi, could legitimately be considered a priest. But the writer of Hebrews was inspired to reconcile the historical facts of Jesus' life with the conditions that had already been identified in the Old Testament. Now, only an omniscient, omnipotent God could put all that interconnected information into a single unified record, the Bible. And this is just one example of the hundreds of examples that we could give to show that the Bible contains a significant body of information that intimately connects the two Testaments. So this helps illustrate that the Bible contains a remarkable unity that could only come from a supernatural mind that could have planned and guided the revelation. This sounds like a great time to go to God in prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer of adoration for our God who created everything out of nothing except for His own unmatched power and creative decrees. A prayer of praise for the Creator. Mighty and everlasting Father, You are a kind and merciful God. You have given us eyes to see fingers to touch, ears to hear, and minds to understand. You bring us into the full and certain knowledge of your transcendent creative power. When men gazed at the stars and sky, they could perceive the depth, but not measure the distance. Through your grace, man now has the ability to understand that your cosmos is more supremely complex and vast than ever could have been known before. What mortal mind can fathom this magnificence? Praise be to you, Father of the galaxy, and praise to your Son, who created at your right hand. It is because of his descent that we will one day be lifted up. So we pray and give thanks in his name. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. 
And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support. Are you hungry for truth? Most people are today. Between changing social standards, cultural chaos, and denominational deviance, confusion is sweeping our community like a tsunami. Will we be swept away? Or will we be anchored by truth? At Crystal Sea Books, our passion is the Bible. The Bible came from the mind of God. The words of God are powerful in truth and love. God will give us peace and strength as we honor His Word. At Crystal Sea Books, we believe the Bible can be a dynamic part of adventure stories, lyrical rhythms, and even humor, as well as inspire our prayers and meditations. That's why Crystal Sea Books is so pleased to offer an all-ages adventure story, Doors of Destiny, a Choice Orb Tale. Many readers have compared the adventure and engagement of Doors of Destiny to the timeless treasures of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And getting a copy of Doors of Destiny couldn't be easier. Just go to crystalcbooks.com and use the link. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. In Doors of Destiny, the Bible's timeless wisdom is captured in an amazing adventure story that is suitable for all ages. Build your faith as you travel highways and byways that are found beyond the veil of eternity. Get your own copy of Doors of Destiny today. At Crystal Sea Books, we're not perfect, but our boss is. <laughs>